On air, coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone, on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone, on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity, and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone, on air, coming up. Stone, on air. Oh, well, all right. Hello, everybody. It is officially February. Took a nap, looked up, and see you later. January is gone. One month down, 11 to go in the year 2017. This is the most downloaded, listened to, and most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. Like, share, and always love. Rate and review if you ever get a chance. My name is Brian Stone, and this is the Stone On Air Podcast. I'm an equal opportunity generational hater. All right, thanks for finding the show. However it is you do so, you can download it on any podcast app on the planet. You can go to the SoundCloud page. You can go to stoneonair.com. Multiple, multiple ways to find the show. There might be one that's even easier than the way you've already found it. So I, I ask that you look around and see if there are potentially better options for you. And other op- some options give me more credit than others. Just saying. Uh, a few things to get to today. I'm going to be pretty quick and to the point today. For the first month of February 2017, I want to just quickly say if you haven't seen, excuse me, seen, listened to the um, interview I did with Wayne White this past weekend, which would have been, depending on when you're listening to this, it would have been January 21st, I believe was that date, over a live to tape at his exhibit, Wayne Orama, 1800 Rossville Avenue. I want to thank Shaking Array Levi Society. And everybody involved, I, I, there are so many names and so many new people I met. I don't want to start giving out a, a list of names because I'll forget somebody. But they were all incredible. And meeting Wayne, I, I've met him before, Wayne White, the, the artist who's from here, who's done so many incredible things. I'm not even going to go into it. If you, if you care enough, you should go listen to that interview because that was big league stuff for me. Um, most everything I've done in my short career, you know, relatively short spoken word career, has been pretty local and regional. I haven't had a whole lot that's been what I would consider big league stuff. That was big league stuff. And um, I, I was pretty pleased with how it turned out. And this taking the podcast uh, remotely and live to to different destinations is something I plan on doing going forward. So that you can get at the SoundCloud page or download it. However you found this show, you can find that one the same way. It's a lot of people are asking at least, you know, through some social media is, hey, what happened to Robert T. Nash? I thought Robert T. Nash was going to be your January guest as I'm doing a monthly sit down with a local Chattanoogan. And when I saw that Wayne White was available at the end of the month, and I, I said, and I said 21st, I'm just popping in my head. It was the 28th. It wasn't the 21st. Anyway, um, I, I asked RT if we could move him to February. And he was cool with that. And so we'll do that here sooner than later. I apologize for anybody who might have been looking for that. Um, February 11th, I'm going to be speaking of remote broadcast podcast. I'm going to be at uh, the CFC Atlanta uh, friendly down at Finley Stadium and the first Tennessee Pavilion saw in the Times Free Press today. They have sold 14,000 tickets for the USA Jamaica friendly. That'll be this. uh, Well, let's see. Friday, the third. 
So that's going to be a big day. I won't be there for that, but um, for the CFC Atlanta game on the 11th, I will. And dumb, dumb me, I'm dumb. I've said soccer would never work around here, and clearly I was wrong. Coming up here in just a couple of minutes, about four or five minutes from now, I'm going to tell you how tax season is the ultimate example of America's self-control deficiency problems. We have no self-control, and there's so many ways that you can find examples of that, but one of the more glaring examples that most people have never even thought about is tax season. I'll get to that here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, we got a mayor's race. Everybody, Chattanooga, hey, wake up, look around. You have a mayor's race. The, the last mayor, Andy Burke, was basically hand-chosen by the power structure. Doesn't have to be that way. You can vote in whoever you want if you actually go and do it. I don't live in the city of Chattanooga. I don't have any say in this. And if it, I would like to see a change, even though I'm not exactly sure who I'd rather see. So there was a uh, like a mayoral forum of sorts hosted by the National Coalition of 100 black women at the uh, Greater Tucker Missionary Baptist Church earlier this week. I believe it was Monday. This is from the Times Free Press. Paul Leach is the, uh, the is the guy who wrote this story. And I just kind of picked around in it. They were just talking about crime more than anything. And so we've got uh, Andy Burke running for re-election. David Crockett, who is the, uh, he used to be a city councilman for uh, several years back in the 90s and uh, kind of gives himself some props for revitalization of the city. I don't know. I was too young to, to remember or know. Uh, and he's a fourth-generation ne- uh, nephew of the Davy Crockett. Larry Groan and Chris Long. I don't know a lot about Larry Groan. The little I do know, I can't say that I would lean his way. I don't have a clue who Chris Long is. So they're talking about crime, and I, I, I saw a few things here I thought were worth noting. Uh, this was... David Crockett saying, we will treat criminals as criminals. David Crockett said, we will not run a social experiment with our communities, with our children, with our city, or with our economy. And what he's talking about there is the VRI program, the Violence Reduction Initiative, which has been a freaking disaster throughout the four years of Mayor Andy Burke's term. There's been there's been people involved that have had you know kind of petty Drug crimes involved, like pot smoking or pot uh, possession. Um, there's been, I don't have any of the information in front of me right now, but there's been lots of people who have resigned who are supposed to be prominent parts of this. And the gist of it uh, is, to boil it down to the most simplest layman way to put it, is that it was trying to work together with the gang community. Like, we'll have meetings with gang leaders, and if you guys, like, agree to knock it off, we'll, we'll try to... That's what he means by a social experiment and that being a detriment to the to the children of the city and the economy. Uh, David Crockett's visions call for ensuring a high-speed train. We've been talking about for 20, 30 years. That kind of goes back to that 90s thing. Uh, Larry Groan said, as far as crime goes, unless we address these core issues, we may not have we may not get a handle on the crime in this city. He also attacked the administration for a severe lack of workforce development. And then there's Chris Long, who's an architectural consultant. He attacked Chattanooga's stormwater program, which he said is strangling development. That's what they were talking about the other day. Who should be the mayor? I don't know. Who do I would I rather not be the mayor? Wouldn't bother me none if Andy Burke was no longer in that position. 
And one more thing before I get to Stone's Throw and tell you how tax season is the ultimate example of American self-control problems I saw on social media that Charlie Yates has passed away. When and how and why, I do not know anything along those lines. But I, I do know that he wasn't very old, and I didn't know him really well. I only met him a few times, but Charlie Yates, a local musician, the last band I saw him play with was down at Riverfront Nights with a band called Ragdoll. Uh, they were kind of a cover band, party band, classic rock kind of thing. He he played just about everything. Originals, uh, covers, he played in all kinds of different bands. Uh, the one memory I have was at a certain point in the last, I don't know, half decade or so, maybe even a lo- little longer than that, me and my brother and, and some of his friends and our little social circle started going out to Kampai of Tokyo, the, the Japanese joint out in East Brainerd over by the mall. And Charlie Yates would play in the in the bar area, taking requests. And uh, there was a drink special of some kind, and I uh, I always dug that place. So we would go, I don't know, some summer stretch for every other uh, Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it was. And and Charlie was always super cool and was very good and played as long as there was still one person there listening. He would stay. Uh, as long as it took, and uh, that's what he did. That was his life's work, playing music, whether it be originals, whether it be covers, whether it be uh, small venues, bigger venues, in front of one person or a thousand people. He uh, he treated it the same way every time, and um, so I've just, my thoughts are out there for anybody who uh, know him, related to him, loved ones, all that. Charlie Yates was, uh, was, a, was a fun, fun, fun person to, uh, to watch perform. The opening segment of the Stone On Air podcast is called Stone's Throw. Heads up. It's Stone's Throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa. Back up the truck. What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me. I'm stupid. I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? Coming up, how extremist politics always lose in an op-ed from The Atlantic by a Republican in regards to the President of the United States and a week-long homework assignment that I've given myself. But before that, two of the more ingrained behaviors in American culture is overreaction and the lack of self-control. Those are two things that our culture struggles with, overreaction and lack of self-control. And they often go hand-in-hand. They mix together, most times ending with disastrous results. The easiest way to measure these behaviors these days is through social media, which is rife with overreaction and poor self-control. I think of a Facebook thread, uh, this guy who's come after me twice. His name's Gary. I don't even know who he is. I don't start threads on social media, but occasionally, or on Facebook more specifically, but occasionally I get involved with one here and there and have a little like minor just hears this and usually walk away from it well i don't remember what whose it was or what it was about but this dude named gary kept just just trolling me i wasn't overreacting and i had complete self-control and i said here's a social media experiment for you walk away don't say another word don't say one more word i bet you can't do it and guess what of course he couldn't do it But the most common example of American self-control deficiency is not just the acceptance, but the overall excitement of the yearly IRS 
tax return. Now, what am I talking about? I've argued this with people for years, that you do not want to get money back from the IRS every year. Conceptually and theoretically, that's a bad that's a bad plan. That doesn't monetarily make any sense. But because we have zero self-control when it comes to saving money, we let the government do it for us. And because we've been doing it for so long and it's become such a normal part of our culture, that is the ultimate representation of zero self-control. I've had this argument with two or three different people almost every year ad nauseum. And it's not because these people don't have enough money to save. Because you have those two, two things. Some people who can't save money because they don't have any money. And people who can't save money because they can't keep from spending it all. If you don't have enough money to save and you're just barely getting by, I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking to your average person who files their taxes. If you're getting money back, you're giving your money to somebody else. And you're saying, here, you can hold this money interest-free for a year. And then you, through a third party, will require me to pay them to get the money back. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And the reason we're okay with it, the reason that we're fine with it, and not only accepting of it, but actually excited about it, is because we have no self-control. Last year, I think I had to pay $90. I told that to somebody the other day in, in, in my day job, and they're like, what, are you kidding me? How, oh, that's crazy. How do you not get money back? Doesn't understand the concept of, I didn't get any money back, dude, because I get the money when I'm supposed to get it, when I get my paycheck. Every week, I already have the money. I'm not getting any back because I already have it. And if I need to save $1,000 between now and next year, I can. It's because I have self-control over this portion of my life. And almost nobody else in this country does. Just watch everybody get excited. Oh, I'm so excited. It's tax season. I get, my, I get money. No, you get your money that should have already been in your hands, and then they charge you for it. Perfect example of the lack of self-control that we have in this country. We're not talking about crazy amounts of money here, usually. Now, again, the write-offs and certain things that get complicated in your life is different, and you want to make sure you get what's yours. That's different than just having more money taken out of your check than you're supposed to and then waiting a year to get it back. And we've somehow been convinced that, that they're, they're doing us a favor. I don't know about you, but I don't let other people borrow money, hold it for a year, and then pay them to give it back to me. It's not something I'm exactly excited about doing. This is the Stone On Air podcast, and this specifically is Jason Isabel on stage with... The Drive-By Truckers, of course, he was a member of that band for about, uh, what was it, about seven years or so. And he jumped on stage with them at the Ryman Auditorium about a week ago, maybe a little less. This is Heathens, a, a Patterson Hood tune. And boy, would I have loved to have seen that. Because, I, again, dumb guy over here, I said, Drive-By Truckers will never make it without him, and he'll never make it without the Drive-By Truckers. And Jason Isabel's a superstar, and the drive-by truckers have the best lineup they've had in 20 years of existence. My name is Brian Stone. Coming up, how extremist politics always lose. An op-ed from The Atlantic 
and a week-long homework assignment that I'm going to get started on here in just a matter of a couple of minutes. On the first day of February 2017, this is the Stone Honor Podcast, and I will be right back. It's the same old shit sure you get another copy of that memo. You are back. This is the most listened to, downloaded, and easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. Like, share, and always love. Rate and review if you get a chance. My name is Brian Stone. This is the Stone on Air podcast on February 1st, 2017. So I've got an op-ed that I'm going to read to you from a um, Republican, uh, a prominent Republican. I'll tell you who he is here in just a minute. From the Atlantic is the um, is the source. It was posted again by Tim Kelly. I'm telling you. Tim Kelly is a guy you follow for interesting and actually coherent look at the current state of the political landscape. He understands what's going on. And if he posts it, I read it immediately. He's a Republican and he's an intelligent one. He's not an extremist crazy, which is kind of the point of this segment. I'm not afraid of Republicans. I'm not afraid of Republicans at all. A lot of Republican ideology I can completely get on board with, and a lot of it not so much. What we're dealing with here now is not a Republican. We're dealing with a maniacal demagogue, a megalomaniac in in the White House right now. And I'm I'm not a Trump-bashing show. No, I don't like him, and I'm never going to. But this isn't a Trump-bashing show. This is a perspective-based show. And a lot of conservative ideals, especially involved financially, I am totally on board with. But that's not who's in the White House. There's a crazy person there. And what we've learned from the Democrats really falling on their face in the, in the last election cycle was a misguided choice. I've, I said that from the beginning. I mean, I don't know much about anything, but I knew that, and I was con- very concerned. Joe Biden runs. We're talking about President Joe Biden right now. It was a perfect storm of bad candidates and anger and resentment. And a lot, of it went, a lot of it went because of crazy left liberalism. Extremist liberalism went out of control. And in a, in a period of time, from 2008 to 2015, uh, you know, 16-ish, 15-ish, what liberals were fighting for, they had. They got it. After all these years, things were finally going their way, and they got greedy. And they got greedy. And they wouldn't stop. And then it got into extremist, crazy liberalism. ESPN gives Bruce Jenner, because he decides to dress like a woman, some kind of heroic award. Sports person of the year. What? What bathrooms do people want to use? Are you kidding me? What? And people got fed up. And then the perfect mix of anger and resentment started to get together, and then a demagogue came along, and there you go. Extremist politics don't work, ever. 
between now and next week, I'm going to do a sit down and do some math, and I'm going to tell you exactly how many people actually voted for Don Trump. Not the true real number on paper that you can go look up with a quick Google search. I'm going to I'm talking about through some research and a kind of coming from a different angle. How many people from primaries to the election in the end were true Trump supporters? I'm going to come up with a number that I believe is actually pretty accurate. And it's going to show that it is a very small percentage of this country, meaning extremist politics will not hold up. And that is where it's gotten within a week and a half extreme, unprecedented moves already just to appease this small amount of people. Elliot A. Cohen does op-eds, is written for a lot of different people. Born in 1956. He was a counselor in the United States Department of State under Condoleezza Rice from 2007 to 2009. He's a BA in government from Harvard, 1977, a PhD from Harvard, 82, political science. He served in the military, has expertise in foreign affairs. This guy's got a long, 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 impressive resume, and he is a Republican. And this is his op-ed, at least this is a small portion of his op-ed from The Atlantic. A clarifying moment in American history. I am not surprised by President Donald Trump's antics this week. Many conservative foreign policy and national security experts saw the dangers last spring and summer, which is why we signed letters denouncing not Trump's policies, but his temperament. Not his program, but his character. We were right. And friends who urged us to tone it down to make our peace with him to accommodate him, to show loyalty to the Republican Party, to think that he and his advisors could be tamed, were wrong. In an epic week, beginning with a dark and divisive inaugural speech, extraordinary attacks on a free press, and now an attempt to ban selected groups of Muslims, he has lived down to expectations. Precisely because the problem is, is one of temperament and character. It will not get better. It will get worse as power intoxicates Trump and those around him. The question is, what should Americans do about it? To friends still thinking of serving as political appointees in his administration, beware. When you sell your soul to the devil, he prefers to collect his purchase on an installment plan. For the community of conservative thinkers and experts, and more importantly, conservative politicians, this is a testing time. Either you stand up for your principles, and for what you know is decent behavior, or you go down, if not now, then years from now, as a coward or an opportunist. Your reputation will never recover, nor should it. Trump, in one spectacular week, has shown he has no regard for the truth, whose patriotism is a belligerent nationalism, whose prior public service lay in avoiding both the draft and taxes, who does not know the Constitution, does not read, and therefore does not understand our history, and who, at his moment of greatest success, was still obsessed about his approval ratings. He will do much more damage before he departs the scene, to become a subject of horrified wonder in our grandchildren's history books. To repair the damage he will have done, Americans must give particular care to how they educate their children, not only in the love of country, but in fair-mindedness, not only in democratic processes, but democratic values. In the end, however, he will fail. He will fail however shrewd his tactics are. His strategy is terrible. The New York Times, the CIA, Mexican-Americans, and all others he has attacked are not going away. He will fail because he cannot corrupt the courts 
and because even the most timid senator sooner or later will say enough. He will fail most of all because at the end of the day, most Americans, including most that voted for him, are decent people. There is nothing great about the America that Trump thinks he's going to make. But in the end, it is the greatness of America that will stop him. That is an op-ed from Elliot A. Cohen from The Atlantic. Extremist politics don't work. When you start just pushing and pushing and pushing more and more and more, and you look at the actual amount of people in this country who truly support this, it is minuscule. And that is a number that I will come up with and put in perspective with percentages and actual real numbers and real work and real data. Not like a bunch of other pissant spoken word formats in this city who just rely on the USA Today to tell them everything that is to talk about today or the Times Free Press. A real data-driven, numbers-driven, analytical look at how many people actually support this. And I promise you, because I already know, these numbers are small. And extremist politics don't work. Give them some rope. Give the crazy extremists some rope and the opportunity, and they will hang themselves. Give an extremist crazy person some rope and an opportunity, and they will hang themselves. And that is what's going on here. And I am not hating on Republicans, and I am not being part of the problem. Yeah, I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy what's going on here. But it's not going to last. And Republicans that want to keep control need to be worried about this. They need to be worried about this. If you get too extreme and you get too confident and you get too comfortable, you'll do exactly what just happened with the Democrats. You'll lose it all. That will happen. Extreme politics never work. This is the most listened to, downloaded, and most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. My name is Brian Stone. And this is the Stone On Air Podcast. Guys, I appreciate you hanging out with me. This is Foo Fighters. Rope on the way out the door. Thanks for finding the show. I certainly do appreciate it. And do not be a fraud. The truth is always incredibly easy to remember. And in 2017, as this space continues to grow, I ask you to continue to watch it. We'll see you. Bye. Give us a rope, I'm